All right, get your Bibles out this morning. I want to balance something because you can go to lots of different churches with lots of different emphases on Sunday morning. Um, we are not what people call a secret church. There's nothing the matter with secret churches, but what that means is my focus in teaching and preaching this morning is not to non-believers. My focus is to equip the church to go out and reach non-believers. In other words, every one of you is called to minister. Now, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, praise God. We're glad that you're here today. And I hope you uh, experience the love of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God. Um, but every Sunday, I have one goal in mind, and that's to help you be a better believer, to help you be more equipped, to help you be more powerful in the things of the Holy Spirit, and to help you be more fruitful in your life. I mean, you know, God has an impact that he wants to bring through your life for such a time as this. Uh, every one of us is in full-time ministry. Just turn to your neighbor and say, congratulations. I heard you're in full-time ministry. Just tell him that. Congratulations. Sometimes we have this hierarchical falsehood in the church where there's like pastors and full-time people and then the rest of us folks. No, the purpose, the Bible says in Ephesians, of full-time ministry as far as five-fold ministry is to equip the church to do the works of the Lord, amen, to do the ministry. So um, if you come to Living Stones, our expectation is twofold. You're going to grow and you're going to become a leader. Turn to your neighbor on your left and say, you're going to grow. Just tell him, prophesy, you're going to grow. And turn to your neighbor, turn to your neighbor on your right and say, you're going to be a leader in this house. All right? Now, for most of you, I hope that's good news. Some of you might be running for the doors right now. Uh, but how many of you know the expectation of discipleship is straight from the heart of Jesus? There are no, like, second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, just people whose lives have been impacted by the Lord, and, uh, and then people who get trained and equipped and go out and impact other people. Amen? Uh, so this message today, I guarantee you, is probably not a message you're going to hear in most churches in America because it's just untasteful, all right? You'll get the pun in just a moment. Um, but I love it at the beginning of this year. I, I, love, I love first, all right? That's why I tell you the Sunday is not the weekend. It's the first day of a brand new week. We give on the first day, not the last day. We give our first and our best, not our leftovers. Amen? It's got, it takes a reorienting of our minds and our hearts to think kingdom. And so when we're talking about getting launched into a new year, I always think about alignment. I think about, how am I, Lord, what do you want to change in me? How, what do you want to grow? What do you want to shift? What are the new things you want to do in my life? And I don't know about you, but I want this year spiritually to be greater than last year. I want to know Jesus more this year than I knew him last year. I want to see more fruitfulness in my life this year than last year. I don't want to regress. How about you? I also don't want to get stuck in the swirling eddy, you know. Mm, mm, mm. Some people live their lives in the swirling eddy on the side of the river. You know, the river's moving and they're stuck in, the, in this little eddy on the side. You don't want to be that kind of person. Uh, if you're bored... You're exactly the person I'm talking to. If you're spiritually bored this morning, you're, I'm talking to you. And, uh, and this message, and I'll, and I'll just say this too, if you're, if you're in a local church that's concerned about growing people, you will be uncomfortable. And your pastor will make you uncomfortable. Because he loves you. 
Not because he doesn't love you, because he loves you, and because the goal of, le- of spiritual leadership is to help people grow into the fullness of Christ. And so I'm pursuing Jesus. I need you to help me. But you also need leadership that will challenge you and, and uh, encourage you to, to get out of the comfort zone. Uh, the status quo comfort zone where you're bored to death and you just go up at church. That's, that's not what God has for any of us. He really wants to launch us into an exciting new life this year. Uh, but you've got to participate. And so as a pastor, I'm never going to try to control you. Some people have accused their pastors of being controlling. I joked around just last night. I have enough things out of control in my life. I don't need to control your life. All right? Please don't ever accuse me of trying to be controlling. I have no desire. My hands are full right now with my own stuff. All right? But I will encourage you, woo you challenge you, make powerful suggestions, even strong suggestions, that if you reach out and take a hold of them, will produce blessing in your life. I promise you that. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll help you grow. And so I want us to see the Lord in first place in everything and then watch everything else come into order. Now, I won't mention any names, but there was a couple in our church who gave a generous gift to somebody else, and uh, they were saying, you know what? Uh, maybe we should take this out of our tithe because things are a little tight. And the husband had uh, some counsel, and he said, hey, no, we're going we're gonna to sow that, and we're going to also give our tithe. In other words, we're going to err on the side of generosity. Now, how many know it's always great to err on the side of generosity? And sure enough, in the mail, they got a check for the exact amount that they sowed, from, uh, from somebody who is a friend of theirs and loves them. They've never got a check from this person ever before. It was the exact amount. Literally, it was the exact amount. And here's my point. The Lord loves us when we, when we test, in a sense, test the waters, when we do what God's called us to do, and then you watch how God answers those prayers. Now, listen, you'll never have any stories if you don't obey God. Uh, if you don't obey God, you got no supernatural stories. If you obey God, you got crazy stories. And how many know when you get crazy stories, you want more? Like last year's stories will not work for 2024. I want new stories in 2024. You go with me? So you have to move in faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So that means God's going to put you in situations where you're going to have to use your faith over and over and over again. Because that's what pleases the Lord when we trust him and we rely on him. So we're going to look at a famous passage called the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of you are familiar with that. Matthew chapter 6, also known as the Beatitudes, where Jesus is going to give us three spiritual disciplines or practices that should be the norm for every single believer. And again, I'm just trying to lay some groundwork today. Uh, And I want you to remember, when we talk about spiritual disciplines, the disciplines are how we experience the grace of God. So, for instance, a lot of you, I'm encouraging you to, to start your Bible reading plan. How many of you are in a Bible reading plan for 2024? You're going to read through the Bible. You're not going to try to read through the Bible. You're going to read through the Bible in 2024. If you're not doing that, I'm going to encourage you. This would be really, really good for you. Um, because this book is full of promises. And if you do not know the promises, you cannot fight with the promises, and you don't know what God has promised to do for you. Ignorance is a killer, amen? And so I'm encouraging you, read the book every day. Read the book. But how many of you know it's not the book itself 
that uh, is the grace, supplies the grace, that this is the means through which the grace flows. Um, this right here, what we're doing on Sunday morning, is, is how the grace of God is distributed to all of us because we need each other. We need the hugs. You're in a hugging church. I don't, everybody needs hugs, whether you know it or not. You need a hug. Every, some of you need like the hundreds of hugs. You're way behind, all right? You need a lot of love, all right? But the, the disciplines are not like duties, regulations, checkboxes. They're the means by which God speaks to us and ministers to us. How many of you know worship? We just got done praise and worship. It's a means of grace by which the Holy Spirit encourages our hearts. And so there's lots of spiritual disciplines that are important and that we should be practicing because that's how we absorb the grace of God. Uh, it's how we keep our first love for Jesus strong. It's how we keep the Father's agenda our number one priority. And so we're going to start reading from uh, Matthew chapter 6. I want to lay three practices that are expectations for every believer. This is not from your pastor. This is from Jesus. How many of you know if Jesus has expectations, we should pay attention? All right, like if Jesus says, this is what I'm expecting you to do as a follower of me, then all of these three things should be a regular part in our life. And I, I go back to Ecclesiastes where Solomon said a cord of three strands is not easily broken. Let me suggest to you that if you practice these three practices, disciplines, you're in your life, you will have a cord of three strands that will be not easily broken. In other words, this will put, put strength in your inner man, all right? These three practices. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 1. The Bible says this, watch out. God sent Jesus speaking, watch out. Now, how many of you know when Jesus says watch out, we should be watching out. There's something serious happening here. Pay attention to what he's about to say. Watch out. Okay, he's got our attention. Don't do your good deeds publicly. Notice, to be admired, I circled that in my Bible, to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. Now, there's a lot of stuff in here that I, that I want us to see. First of all, good deeds don't get us saved. We're saved by grace. But how many of you know good deeds matter because the way we live our life is the basis of our reward? And I share with you before, God's not a communist. And so when we get to heaven, we don't all have a four-by-four four, you know, house uh, where everybody has the same exact blessing. When we're living on the new earth, we don't all get the same reward. You are rewarded on the basis of what you do with the grace of God. Does that make sense? Did you see what it says there? It says in verse 1, you're going to lose your, a reward. Uh, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, verse 6, without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is or he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, the super spiritual religious types think there's something carnal or ungodly about reward. Like we should never do anything for a reward. And yet the Bible is full of promises from God that he's a rewarder. So maybe we picked up some religious garb along the way that we need to drop off. And maybe we need to, if God's trying to reward us, motivate us by reward, then maybe we should pay attention to what, what the reward is and what he's trying to motivate us with, if that makes sense. Because the reward is so important. Jesus says there, watch out. Why is he saying watch out? Because he's concerned about us receiving the reward that God wants to bless us with. So he's going, watch out. I don't want you guys to lose the reward. God, think about this. God is a rewarder. 
God rewards a godly lifestyle. Now, please hear me. We're not talking about salvation. That, that's pure gift by grace. That's, what, that's the reward of Jesus' lifestyle. But here's what I want you to hear loudly and clearly this morning. Like, how you live really does matter. And we're not talking about whether you're, going, whether you're saved or not. I'm talking about the reward of heaven. What, what is it that God is going to bless and release over your life on the basis of how you live? So you could take two people, go back to my son's message a few weeks ago, two people living in the same experiences, making two different outcomes on their life, two different trajectories based on the choices that they make. I mean, you know, you're going to make choices, each one of us, we're making choices this year. And, and the outcome of those choices will determine the fruit of our life and the trajectory of our lives. Again, I'm not talking about eternity. I'm just talking about living a blessed life. I'm talking about being fruitful. I'm talking about having the favor of God on your life. It goes back to what we do with the truth that we've received. How many of you want to be doers of the word and not only hearers only? You want to put into practice what God's speaking to you. And so it's very important here. There is a reward that God is wanting to give. And he says, but don't do your good deeds. Notice the, the wrong motive here, to be admired by others. The focus of our lives is not this audience, but this audience. And it doesn't mean, you know, some people get weird with all this kind of stuff. They, they push it to another extreme and they say, well, you know, uh, I don't want to, I'm not doing this publicly to be admired by others, so I, I don't want anybody to know about my good deeds. You know, sometimes the fact that people know that it was you that blessed them or you that served them, that's okay because it's a personal touch. It's like, I love you, I'm for you. I mean, we need that. It's the heart issue that matters. So does that mean you can never bless somebody uh, publicly? No, that's not what that means. It means guard your heart so that you're not doing what you're doing as a show for yourself to be admired by people. Jesus said, well, if you've already got your admiration from people, then why do you need the reward or the smile of heaven on your life? And so this is the, the, the issue here is motive. And, and how many, you know, we don't even really know our motives or can't discern our motives until the Holy Spirit kind of lays us wide open and shows us our motives. Have you ever thought you had a really good motive and then you got majorly offended? Or is it just me? Have anybody, has anybody ever been offended by God over something? And then the Lord goes, oh, I thought you were doing it for me. And then I'm going, well, I thought I was too. But, but maybe I have a little bit of myself in there too. Maybe there was a little, little kickback, Lord, that I wanted for me. It's so subtle, isn't it, how especially with Christian things, we, we do our stuff and we really think it's all for the glory of God, but at the end of the day, if it's not quite turned out right, then we get a little bit offended or offended with God. So Jesus is saying, man, watch your motive. Watch why you do what you do and how you do what you do. And then he goes on to give us three things here that are what I'm calling three practices for every single believer. In other words, these th three things should be found in the life of every follower of Christ. So how many of you know we should be writing these down going, and, and, and here's the other thing, how am I doing this? How is this finding expression in my life right now if I'm a follower of Christ? Look what Jesus says, verse 2. When you give, everybody say when you give. When you give. He didn't say if you give. He said when you give. So how many of you know it is non-negotiable for a Christian not to be a giver? For God so loved the world that he gave. 
God is the most generous being in the whole universe, and he expects us to live lives marked by generosity. So the Bible says here, when you give to somebody in need, don't do as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets. Here I am. I brought my tithe, my offering, my gift. Uh, Don't blow trumpets. Don't have a band show up to announce your arrival. Um, Isn't this a riot? Blowing their trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to their acts of charity. To call, notice again the, the motive, the wrong motive, calling attention to their acts of charity. In other words, it's not you're writing the big check and standing up with the giant, you know, three by five check. Here's my donation to the church this year. Isn't it impressive? Uh, you got your reward. There it is. Um, that's not how it works. Jesus said, come on, you don't blow trumpets and draw attention, all that kind of stuff. That's not the point of it all. He says, I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. And so let me just challenge you pastorally today. What is your giving plan? How many of you know if you don't have a plan, it probably won't get executed? So what is your plan? Well, God has a plan in the Bible. You all know that, Right? God says, bring me the tenth, the first tenth, the tithe. He didn't say, give an offering of a tithe. He said, bring it to me because it's his. He said, bring it. In other words, God's not blowing a trumpet and patting you on the back for returning a tenth of what he gave to you. It's all his. He said, bring me back a tenth. So I'm encouraging you. Please hear my heart. Why does God say this? Is God broke? Nope. Is the pastor greedy? Nope. Does the pastor get all the money? Nope. Who do you bring the money to? To God. Because it's his. So I want to encourage you at the start of this year, please hear my pastoral heart. Start sowing correctly at the first Sunday of the first year and listen to me you tell me if at the end of this year you have not walked into not only God's uh, provision for you that you that you have not gone without but I'll promise you you will have walked into God's blessing now okay if we could have insurance for terrible politicians and terrible policies if we could take out insurance, because I'm telling you, 2024 is going to be the ride of our lives. If we could take out insurance against government to protect us from government stupidity, wouldn't it be great? Well, I'm telling you, there's an insurance plan. It's called the tithe. It's called honor God with your money. Honor God with your job. Honor God with what he has given to you. And he says, test me and prove me if I will not open the windows of heaven. And he didn't say if it's in a really bad economic time. You know, God fed people with birds. God took care of widows through famines. So here's my point. Let's be givers this year. And can I just share this? Sometimes the kingdom of God is incredibly counterintuitive. In other words, God tells you to give what you don't have. 
or what you don't think you have. You know, I had somebody come to me one time and say, Pastor, we're really in a bad time. Can you help us out? We, we, you know, we spent too much at Christmas, and we're actually having to dip into our savings. <laughs> I don't think that was the purpose of the church helping out poor people because you spent too much on Christmas and you had to dip into your savings account. We all have more than enough, or, or, or at least we uh, more than, than most. The problem is not that God's not providing for us. The problem is that he can't get, uh, get it out of our hands into blessing other people. And again, I'm speaking in general here. You guys are incredibly generous. We just sowed into uh, the stopping of sex trafficking and ministering of, to women who have been trapped and all of that. This, on the last three days, we just sowed into some amazing projects overseas. We just sowed into some amazing this year. I just want to say this. The, the, the giving at the end of this year for missions was absolutely out of control, unbelievable. So I just want to praise all of you and encourage all of you, but I just also want to put an exclamation point. Begin the year in divine order so you can walk under divine blessing. If you're out of divine order, God, I always tell people, be blessable. Be blessable. And God doesn't bless disobedience. So be blessable. And then watch the provision of God flow through your life. If God can trust you with the little things, he can trust you with bigger things. I'm just, there's no new revelation here. This is just good truth. But we need to hear it. So I'm encouraging you, get your financial house in order. Pastor, why are you saying that? Please hear my heart. Because I want you to be blessed. Because I want all of your needs and then some to be met. Because we have an important mission to accomplish and God needs you. All right? And, God, and God's not hurting. So he's looking for faith. What does faith look like? Sometimes faith looks like writing a check or sowing a seed. It takes faith. Look, God looks for faith. What does he want to do? He wants to bless faith. So keep your giving going. Minister to people that are poor. Minister to uh, keep sowing overseas uh, to people with greater needs than ours. Keep sowing into the spread of the gospel. It's good soil. Honor God. Bring back the tenth and let him bless the ninety. This is the way the kingdom of God works. In fact, let me just read a passage and I'll move on here and I'll quit meddling with you. I'm only meddling because I like you guys a lot. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits, not the leftovers, the first fruits of all your crops or your income. Then your barns will be abundantly filled and your vats will overflow with new wine. How many of you know that is a great promise? How many of you know that's a promise for you? Okay, two people just latched onto that promise. That promise is for you if you're a believer. Latch on to that promise. Pray that promise. Declare that promise, all right? Let's go to a second practice that is non-negotiable. Look at verse 5. When you pray. Everybody say, when you pray. Don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly and on street corners and in the synagogues. Notice the motive here where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. So again, next to giving, prayer is also not optional for the believer. And why is it important? It keeps our personal relationship with Jesus fresh, 
It demonstrates dependence upon the Lord. How many of you know prayer is a safeguard from pride and independence and simply dead and lifeless religion? And so I want to encourage you the same thing. What is your plan this year for prayer? What's your plan for prayer? Because how many of you know if you don't have a plan, it won't happen. Or it will happen haphazardly. So when are you praying and where are you praying? And then you have to show up and keep your appointment with God. Amen? So when are you giving? How are you giving? When are you praying? What time are you praying? Where are you praying? These are important, but, you, but if, if we're going to be followers of Christ, it's not if, it's when. So let's build these things into our life so that we don't run on empty. And then let's get to the third one. Look at verse 16, Matthew 6, 16. Read it with me. And when you... Oh, why do you have to put that one in there? And when you what? It doesn't say if, it says... Pretty impressive, isn't it? So what does Jesus know about fasting that we hate? I want, I, I, this is a whole other message, but do you realize that our salvation from hell was secured because the Son of God went without food for 40 days in the wilderness because fasting was a weapon that he used to demonstrate his complete allegiance to God and gave him supernatural strength to overcome his flesh. And how many of you know one sin by Jesus means we're all in hell? Think about it. The weapon of choice that Jesus used, that he took out of the closet, so to speak, that he armed himself with was a weapon called fasting. So there must be something really, really powerful in fasting. Now, again, I'm not asking for hands raised. I have invited you to participate in the next 21 days in some form of fasting. Uh, Some of you are fasting sugar. Great. Uh, Some of you are fasting social media. Praise the Lord. That's going to give you more time. Some of you are fasting, you know, meats and cheeses and dairy and all that kind of stuff, and you're eating that more healthy diet. Uh, Praise the Lord. But here's, here's the thing. This is not a diet we're kicking off the year. Now, my britches are fitting better. I got a little more space in there. But this is not why I'm doing this. If you do not replace time spent gorging yourself with food with time spent gorging yourself in the presence of Jesus, you're just on a diet. And praise the Lord, fasting is great for your body. Fasting is great for your body. Uh, it's, a, it's certainly a health trick, all right, a health hack. But that's not why we're doing this. We're not doing this so that we look nice and skinny and healthy. Um, that's not our fundamental reason. We are fasting because we are demonstrating a hunger for more of Jesus in our lives. We're, we want to kill our flesh. I just want to say this. You know, if you are dealing with an addiction, um, I, I want to offer you some advice. I heard a very wise pastor who said he no longer does personal counseling with the members of his church. And I was shocked. I said, seriously? And he said, yep, it's a time waster and it doesn't help anyone. I was more shocked. And then he said this. First thing I ask people when they come in to share their problems is, 
Are you praying about this? Well, usually not so much. And then he says, okay, we're not going to sit here and spend time counseling. Let's just spend the first 30 minutes of this counseling appointment praying together. Awkward. He finds people don't really know how to pray. They don't really know how to talk to God. Yes, have you spent any time in prayer and fasting for this problem? Guess what you think the answer is for that one? So instead of coming and trying to have me talk to you and provide the magic silver bullet, why don't you go talk to God? And why don't you go spend some time on your knees fasting and praying and then come and see me and see if there's still the same problem that you had? Because sometimes we just want to go to other people and we just want to feel better unloading but we haven't pursued God at all and and almost always not only have we not really prayed seriously about what's going on but very seldom have we ever added fasting to the mix fasting's like an atomic bomb like you know pastor I'm dealing with a I got a problem with alcohol why don't you go on a fast from food and alcohol and why don't you spend that time on your face before God and why don't you cry out and choose not to leave until God meets you and God changes you why don't you be desperate for help you know I'm I'm dealing with this addiction that addiction you might be dealing with a food addiction you know we got all kinds of addiction Americans got addictions all over the place what's the purpose of this fast it's it's for freedom but somebody else doesn't set you free by giving you this great little counseling tip. Uh, and it's funny. Like, so, we, so we won't pray. We won't fast. And then let me just tell you something else that would cure people in a hurry. If I charged you what a counselor charged you for my time, and I charged you $100 to come in and talk to me, it would cure everybody. I pray. <laughs> so... I think it's interesting because the three things the Bible says every believer should be doing, giving, praying, fasting, we don't do. And then we wonder why we're in bondage. So, you know, man, I just wish my wife would change. Well, why don't you change first? And why don't you build fasting and prayer into your lifestyle? You know, I got a son that's addicted. Great. How many days a week are you going to dedicate to praying and fasting until your son is broken free from the addiction and restored to you? I mean, what do we really want? You know, how desperate are we? How desperate are we? And, you know, in places in the world where they just don't have many options, they just have God. And, you know, in America, we're always saying, how come we don't see more signs and wonders? We got options. We got lots of options. But in a lot of places, there are no options. So what do you do? You get on your face before God. And you push away what little food you have, and you begin to go hard after God. And you know what you see? Signs and wonders and miracles and breakthrough. Amen? So why am I sharing all of this? Because the American church needs to be marked by signs and wonders and breakthrough. And, uh, and we can't set anybody else free if we're not free. So... Why, why does Jesus say we need to fast? Well, here's another good explanation. How about Luke chapter 5, verse 34 and 35? Jesus was asked, how come, you're, 
How come you guys aren't fasting? How come your disciples aren't fasting? This is what Jesus said. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. That's not the time to be fasting, right? At a wedding, you're not fasting at a wedding. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Well, who's the groom talking about here? Jesus. And who's the bride? We are. And so is Jesus with us now? No, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And so should we be fasting now? Yes, because what are we fasting for? We're fasting for the return of our, of our bridegroom. In other words, fasting is a form of homesickness and lovesickness for Christ. Fasting says, Lord, we're hungry for you. We're hungry for more. We're not satisfied with where, we at, where we're at. Lord, we need breakthrough in our lives. And when did Jesus say you'll be fasting? Between now and the second coming. Now is a season for prayer and for fasting. As a demonstration of our passion for God. Let me, uh, what time are we at here? I'm still trying to get the new schedule going. Somebody just start playing the keyboard when you think I should stop, all right? <laughs> all of a sudden, someone's racing up here. <laughs> uh, again, I'm just laying some track. A lot of Christians think fasting is some like weird, extreme fringe. If you're one of those radical, intercessory type people, you do that. Um, like out of the mainstream. But I just, I'm trying to say today, fasting is like mainstream Christianity. And I think a lot of the problem lies in our focus on fasting. I mean, you know, sometimes we focus on fasting as a famine instead of a feast. So we're saying, oh, I can't have this, I can't have that, I can't eat this, I can't go to Dairy Queen, I can't. We're looking at all the things we can't do. But how many of you know what we're not looking at is who we're feasting upon? So I'm not focusing on what I am not eating right now. I'm focusing on the, on the uh, time that I have to spend feasting. And I want you to get that in your mind. Do you see what we're doing here, for instance, on Sunday morning? We, you've been invited to a feast. Are you eating up? Are you enjoying yourselves? Are you, are you getting as much of the Lord as you possibly can during worship and during the Word and in your times with each other? This is, a, this is a feast. When you spend time in prayer, it's a feast. When you spend time reading the Word, it's a feast. When you spend time sowing, it's a feast. All of these things should be viewed as a feast. A lot of you, how many, how many of you want your body to be healthier this year? And then how many of you have a plan for that? You have to do something. It's been said that the least used piece of equipment at a health club is the front door, all right? <laughs> you got to show up. And some people focus on the pain. Like when you start working out, like day two is when you're going, ah, I didn't know I had those muscles there and it really hurt. But you need to view the pain in those muscles as, as launching you on a journey to Bigger muscles, stronger, leaner, faster, more flexible, feeling great, having more energy. Some of you know you can focus on the cost or you can focus on the benefits. I say the same thing with fasting. Some of you are in the various forms of study or educational study, training, et cetera, et cetera. You can focus on the discipline of having to read those books or take those tests, or you can focus on the freedom that you're going to have to explore some other career options with your life or whatever the situation might be. 
I love this one. We often run from fasting because we're more in tune with our growling bellies than we are with the glowing benefits that come with seasons of fasting. So every time, again, by the way, you start to get into a groove. Have you, have you all found the groove yet when the headaches finally lift from all the things you're addicted to? And your stomach's going, oh, and it's embarrassing because you're with your friends and your stomach's growling like crazy. And then you start to move into a groove where those appetites start to shrink and where the fogginess up here starts to go and you all of a sudden you have clarity like you've never had before. And where you open up the Bible, and before it was just like reading the newspaper, uh, and now all of a sudden things are leaping off the page at you because you're spiritually attuned. Um, when you're hearing God in ways that you've not heard God before because you're, you're sensitized to the presence of the Lord. When you're worshiping, and all of a sudden during worship you just feel the presence of God like you've not felt Him in a long time. This is what I'm talking about. And how many of you know when you're in that, that mode... You go, I like this. Like, why don't I live like this more often, like all the time? Because it's not a bad place to be. It's actually a great place to be. But we have to get there. I love what the Puritans called fasting. They called it the soul-fattening institution. Isn't that good? This, not the body, the body, uh, uh, What's the word? Body fattening institution, but the soul. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fatten my spirit, my mind, my will, my emotions, to love the Lord. And so, what is fasting? It's simply the voluntary abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. All right, the voluntary abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. I would like to encourage you again for the first 21 days do something. If you like the Daniel fast, great. Some of you can't, you know, uh, but everybody can do something. But here's what I would challenge you to do is consider uh, sometime during the week for 2024, consider a day where maybe if you're at work, instead of going to the lunchroom or going out to eat or whatever, you spend that time uh, with the Lord in prayer and in the Word. At nighttime, maybe you're not eating dinner on that day, and so what do you do? You get alone in a secret place, spend time in the Word, reading, growing, worshiping, uh, push away the food and take a day. I, get, I talked to you about Jerry and Terry Harvey, how they prayed and fasted one day a week for their two sons and for their wives who they had not yet met. Um, and, uh, and they spent one day a week together as a husband and wife praying for breakthrough. I'm just telling you, what could happen in this year that would absolutely completely change the trajectory of your life or those in your family if you and I simply came together and we prayed, and we pushed aside food to, to push after God. How I many you know nobody would die in this church from one day of fasting? I promise you, no one's going to die. But I bet you we would have some serious breakthroughs. Serious breakthroughs. Serious answer to prayers. Um, let me uh, end with this. A couple of quotes. Oh, first of all, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I got... I got I'm going to take five minutes. Is that all right? Can I take five minutes? Yes. Say, sure, Pastor. It's the first of the year. You can have whatever you want. All right. Look at, look at uh, Acts chapter 13. One day, these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, and the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So how did the church, early church conduct their business? Prayer and fasting. And you notice what it says? It didn't say, 
They open up the Bible. There are people, especially evangelicals who don't believe in the Holy Ghost today, that say, well, if you want to hear God speak, just read your Bible. Well, that's not what happened here. Now, please read your Bible. You already heard me say that. But guess what? The Holy Spirit wants to talk to us. And you're going, man, you know, Lord, should we launch this new business? You're not going to find a Bible verse about that. But the Holy Spirit can tell you what to do. But you got to be in an atmosphere where he's ready to speak to you. And your heart's ready to hear. So if you're not praying and you're not fasting, he might not be speaking. Or you might not be hearing. So what would happen... I'm speaking to business folks. What would happen if you, if you uh, said, man, Lord, we're deep. we need some serious wisdom right now. And you just set aside a morning or a day and you just said, we're not going to do the work. We're going to pursue the Lord of the work. And we're going to ask the Lord for wisdom. Lord, we're not sure if we should buy this house. We're not sure if we should sell this. We're not sure if we should do this. We're not sure about this decision. None of those things you'll find in your Bible directly. You'll find principles. But what if you just sought the Lord? And you ask them to speak to you. How about Acts chapter 14, verse 23? Paul and Barnabas also appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting. They turned the elders over to the care of the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So church planting. Now, can I just share with you guys? This year, why are we praying and fasting this year? Because uh, we're going to be out of space in 2024 again. And we're going to max out this property on Pratt and Summit. And then guess what? We need a word from God. Lord, what do you want to do? What should we do? Because how many of you know when God speaks, then God provides? And so why are we doing this? Because I believe we're going to need a lot of wisdom in 2024 as a church. Um, and that's what they did in the early church. I'm going to quote, start playing that. It's music to my ears. All right. Two quotes, and then we're done. I'm trying to encourage you. How many of you have ever heard of Martin Luther? All right, good. All right. Listen to Martin Luther. Of fasting, I say this. It is right to fast frequently in order to subdue and control the body. For when the stomach is full, the body does not serve for preaching, for praying, for studying, or for doing anything else that is good. Under such circumstances, God's word cannot remain. Martin Luther, of course, launched a whole movement. How many of you have heard of John Wesley? Any Wesleyans out there? All right. In his younger years, Wesley fasted twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays. He felt so strongly about fasting those two days a week that he refused to ordain anyone in Methodism who wouldn't agree to do it. He wrote, Is not the neglect of this plain duty, and I mean fasting, ranked by our Lord with almsgiving and prayer, one general occasion of deadness among Christians? If you're here today and your spirit just seems dead and you need a resurrection, Wesley said, fast and pray and stir up godly affections. But sometimes you cannot stir up godly affections until you rip off all those fleshly things that are just pulling you down and keeping you in a rut. Amen? So how many of you, well, just stand your feet. I was going to say, how many of you are for fasting? Stand your feet. All of you are standing your feet. All right. Yay. All right. I tricked you all. Great. 
How many of you, based on what Jesus said, are open to entertaining a fasted lifestyle? The rest of you are just disobedient. <laughs> Did you all read Matthew 6? How many of you are serious about following Jesus? Yes. We're going to give. Yes. We're going to pray. Yes. We're going to fast. Yes. That's how we win. Yes. So, Father, thank you for this beautiful church family. Lord, we want to do it your way. We want to follow you. We want to practice what you've instructed us to do. And, Lord, I just pray you stretch us, you grow us, and give us more of yourself, Jesus. We're hungry for you. Holy Spirit, come. We're not trying to do this in our own strength. Be the wind in our sails, Lord. Just blow us along this course of discipleship and help us to be more like Jesus and help us not only to be like him in our character, but Lord, we want to move like Jesus did in fruitfulness and in power and in wisdom and in hearing the Father and in all the fun stuff, all the ministry stuff, Lord. So Father, we thank you in advance for breakthrough. We thank you for wisdom. We thank you for favor and fruitfulness and all the things that come as we sow to the Spirit and not to our flesh. Bless our people now as we go, Lord. Use us this week for your glory. Bring us back midweek, 7 o'clock, Wednesday night, as we seek your face and cry out for this year. Give you all the glory in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Hey, if you need prayer, come on down, all right? We love you. We'd love to pray with you.